You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are back. Listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Back with me again here this week is Mr. Christopher Dowhauer. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, three more weeks, I'll be doing really good when kickoff for training camp begins. Yeah, as of right now, we don't have we haven't been talking about a lot of news lately because there's not a lot of current news to really cover. A lot of it out there as rumors, conjecture from beat writers, what they think based on the limited OTAs, the limited mini camps that they've gotten to see where not even everybody has reported yet. So we'll get more information as training camp comes along. That's why we're continuing on with the team profile series so we can go through our expectations, our overlooks for each of these players throughout these teams while we're waiting for you know some of these position battles to sort themselves out come training camp with some of our early on projections that will be up for you guys hopefully by the end of the month and will be updated all throughout the year of course on bellyupfantasysports.com this year uh you know we're talking about the Cowboys the Browns the Panthers and the Raiders in today's show so there's a lot to get through with all those teams a lot of question marks a lot of a lot of things are going to be up in the air frankly as we're getting back to the beach getting back out the fourth is almost here and we'll be able to celebrate finally i think there's actually fireworks going on some people will actually be able to congregate in some events so good things are opening back up as we get back to normal but let's talk about normal chris the cowboys need to get back to normal because they need dak prescott to come back and see what this offense can really be what is your outlook when you're looking at this dallas cowboy team i mean i'm really excited about this offensive Juggernaut, I think they put together. We saw Dak Prescott put up ridiculous numbers, especially fantasy-wise, last year before he got injured. You have a you know plethora of weapons between Gallup, C.J. Lamb, uh, Amari Cooper, all returning. You can see kind of unfold to the tight end position as there's different. You know, will it be Blake Jarwin? Will it be um, uh, what's his name Schultz? Um, and see kind of how these things unfold. But I think this offense is prepared to be one of the better offenses. You have a he- healthy offensive line again, so I can't wait to see the Cowboys on offense. Defensively, we don't talk too much about fantasy wise, but I do think it's going to be a little bit improved. They made some big moves with get, hiring Dan Quinn as their defensive coordinator. I don't know how he keeps getting jobs, but he did. Um, one of the things I think he will bring to the table is make the defense a little more simple, um, keep it kind of more, you know, keeping guys in front of them. Their linebacking crew is going to be ridiculous if they're healthy. And I'm kind of excited to see the Cowboys' outlook this year. Yeah, it's going to be a bend but don't break type of defense, which is really all you need to be when you have this type of Dallas Cowboy offense. But that also still bodes well for the offense for fantasy purposes because while, yes, I think they have did some things that may upgrade their front seven, that secondary is still very, very suspect. I think there's still going to be more shootouts than not. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities there like there was the beginning of last year when Dak Prescott was playing for the first five weeks of the season where the Cowboys will still get a high number of volume. Now, let's not get it twisted. They were on pace for insane record-breaking numbers across the board last year. I'm not expecting that kind of neck-breaking pace for them this season. However, being a top-three offense, 100% 
in the cards. It's why there's a lot to like about the Dallas Cowboys from a fantasy standoff. Let's talk about Dak. Let's break him down. Like I said, he was only played for the first five weeks of the season. During that time, he was the QB four. And what was interesting to me is while, while he was the QB four during a neck-breaking record pace, as we mentioned, a lot of that was because while he was racking up the yards, he wasn't necessarily racking up the touchdowns. Dak is actually somebody who does not get 30 passing touchdowns in a season very often. Yeah, I mean that it was kind of kind of a surprise and the team you know, kind of struggled in the red zone last year to begin the season. It was early in the season though. They were able to put up points. A lot of those points were in the comebacks. So you talk about the yards. Um, you know, the defense was basically Swiss cheese last year. So the teams basically had to keep coming back, coming back. So Dak definitely threw the ball, but more than you expected him to in some senses. But I do expect the red zone to kind of be more effective this year, particularly having an off season and having a training camp, having Dak healthy going into the season. So I think Dallas Cowboys are going to, like you said, be definitely on the top three offenses. And I think that we look at this team week in, week out, they're going to be pretty consistent to be able to score the points. Uh, Zeke seems to be in healthy so far via Instagram and Vincent social media, the kind of pictures of him showing him that he actually looks not like a fat jerk like he did last year. Um, and I think that hopefully he'll have a bounce back year. Still have Tony Pollard back there. And like I said, the offensive line returning, being healthy is going to be the biggest key for, I think, Dallas in a lot of ways. Dak took some hits last year. I think now you're going to see him have a little more time. You might see that red zone definitely increase and improve as a result. Yeah, I just want to keep, I want to illustrate the pace that this team was on, especially from Dak's standpoint, which was he was on pace for 710 passing attempts. 710 passing attempts. That was the pace that he was on, almost 6,000 yards passing. But yet, yet, he was still only on pace for 29 touchdowns. Just to kind of reiterate that point, while all that was going on, the red zone was still not quite there. However, here's what I will say. And this is the one thing that's nice about Dak when it comes to fantasy purposes to begin with, why he's a bona fide top five quarterback at the very least this season. He gets rushing touchdowns. He was on, he was on pace for 10 rushing touchdowns last season, something he's always been pretty good at. He's actually one of those mobile quarterbacks. He never racks up a ton of yards in his career. You go back and look, but he's very effective in the red zone. He is a type of guy who usually gets six plus rushing touchdowns per season. I expect no less this year. I'm not worried about his injury as far as that holding him back in any kind of way. He's had plenty of time to recover. Uh, all indications are he is 100% ready to go. Dak also is not that type of guy to me that I think is going to have to get over a mental hurdle like some people would as well. So you have a lot of weapons there. I love Dak Prescott for that instance. I have him projected to be in the top three next year just under 5,000 yards. I have him finally cracking that 30 touchdown mark at 30 touchdown, even with four rushing touchdowns, 289 yards rushing, and plenty of attempts with 650 attempts. That's where I have Dak Prescott in a 17-game season this upcoming year. What do you think about that? I mean, that's exactly where I kind of have in my mind. I think Dak's going to be a top three quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe even goes close to number two. Um, I think his numbers are going to be ridiculous this year. This, the offense in general reminds me a lot of the Vikings a few back in the, in, back in the late 90s. And Danny Greenman, hey, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Dante Culpepper, um, Jake Reed. And you saw a team that basically you had to play single coverage on at least one of those guys. And a quarterback with a mobile quarterback like Dak, like Dante was, it opens up the opportunities for not only red zone touchdowns and rushing, but just for big plays in general. So I expect this offense, like I said, to be really, really good. It's supposed to be very consistent. In their, their division, other than the Redskins, the defenses are pretty pathetic overall. 
So Washington I expect Dallas to be team. Washington football team. Oh, sorry, Washington football. Yes, no, not the Redskins. I'm gonna apologize. The Washington football team with their stupid name. Um, I think that the Washington football teams may be the only team that can actually slow them down a little bit. But even that, I think, is going to be hard for them. I think Dallas is going to be a team that you want to ride their coattails as much as possible. And Dak's definitely a guy I want to get my hands on. Yeah, there, there's so many exciting things about this offense. The offensive line is crucial. They're healthy. Here's my hesitation with that, though. They're healthy for now. Tyrone Smith, I don't know he can ever make it through a 17-game season anymore. And honestly, I think I have to put that question out for Zach Martin. But let's say this offensive line is healthy. Let's say Ezekiel Elliott, all reports are true, that he is in shape with a chip on his shoulder, ready to go. People are sleeping on Ezekiel Elliott right now. Right now, Elliott, his ADP is in that back end of the first round, just outside the top five running backs, actually running back eight overall. He's still going in the first round, but you can get him late in the first round. Don't hesitate. Every indication to me means Ezekiel Elliott's going to be a top three running back again this season. Even last year. Let me just finish one point. I'll kick right back to you. Mm -hmm. Last year, there's been all this talk about Tony Pollard and that all of a sudden this is a committee. That couldn't be further from the truth. Last year when he was out of shape, bad offensive line, even with Andy Dalton under center, the games in which Ezekiel Elliott was healthy and he only missed one game last season, the first game he missed, that wasn't a suspension in his career, by the way, it was still a 70-30 split across. That's not a committee. Tony Pollard's the backup. I keep hearing that more and more and more, how Tony Pollard is this sleeper value and how he's going to be significantly involved. No, he's not. As long as he goes healthy and out on the field, he is the backup. This is not a committee situation. Go ahead. Yeah. First of all, the committee situation, I think the only way that materializes is if Dallas is absolutely horrible. They went four or five games, and they're, you know, basically the Dallas is looking forward to next year, maybe deciding to get rid of Zeke. Otherwise, as long as this team's in contention, to your point, Zeke gets the majority of the carries. He's going to be continue to be the bell cow. He gets paid a lot of money not to sit on the bench. Um, and I think that one of the things you're going to see him continue to do is be, you know, effective in the red zone, effective in the, between the tackles. But what I expect this year with him being in shape, when I talked about him kind of being out of shape, looking like he was out of shape last year, his explosiveness wasn't there. You didn't see the big runs. You didn't see the big plays. I expect that to kind of bounce back in a lot of ways. The offensive line and tackle will definitely help. Talked about, you know, Smith staying healthy or Martin staying healthy. One thing Dallas did a pretty good job is they did add some depth to that offensive line, so they are able to kind of handle the injuries a little bit better than most teams can handle them. So I do expect overall Zeke to continue to be productive, and I expect that offense, like I said, to really bounce back a lot of ways. Um, I think Zeke's going to be the guy that I definitely, you know, at number eight, I think he's, you were saying before, Definitely first-round talent. Don't hesitate to take Zeke. Don't hesitate to Zeke if you get to you know pick five or six and you're looking at the board and you, you, don't, you don't want to reach on certain guys. Like I said, this Dallas offense is going to be really basically unstoppable. And I'm big on draft running backs would have talent on the outside and also a good, strong offensive line. So when you have both those things in place and a mobile quarterback, it has a lot of things that you want to have the recipe for having a successful running back. And Zeke should be a guy that people shouldn't be sleeping on at all. Yeah, just to illustrate your point, his career average is 4.5 yards a carry. That was down to four last season. That's, again, that's for a number of issues, even in a down year. And I think last year was probably as bad as it gets for Ezekiel Elliott. He still finishes the RB11 and half point PPR leagues. That just goes to show that's his floor. His floor is still a low end RB1 in 12 man leagues. He's going to be really good this year. Trust me, when you have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott who has a chip on his shoulder and is going to play with something to prove, he's going to come in in better shape than he's been the last two seasons, 
It's something you don't want to miss out on. So don't. I'd rather take him. I haven't seen exactly where my rankings have come out just yet, but I'd rather have an Ezekiel Elliott than a Saquon Barkley. And I want to put that on record right here, right now, as far as that goes. Yeah, I can't argue that. Maybe you like Saquon more in PPR leagues, but other than that, yeah, I think in standard scoring, absolutely Zeke Elliott's the guy you'd rather have over Barkley. Barkley has just as many injury issues and concerns. The offensive line is ne- nearly as good. The offense is nearly as productive. And like I said, you're gonna if you have Dak for 17 games this year or even you know most of the season, Zeke's gonna have to be the one who's gonna benefit the most from that. Last year he faced a lot of eight-man, nine-man boxes because teams basically were not afraid of Andy Dalton and a backup, backup, backup quarterbacks that are throwing out there. So I think when you look at this offense with Dak Prescott, with those receivers, so he's going to see a lot of light lines, a lot of got coverage defenses where he can just basically have an outstanding season and have a hell of a floor. Don't forget how much he gets targeted when Dak Prescott plays. And I actually have him projected for 80 targets this season, just over 60 receptions and 450 yards along with 1,200 yards rushing just over that, and about 10 rushing touchdowns. I have him squarely in the top five going into this season. There's another debate going on with the Dallas Cowboys right now, and I'm going to get your take on this first before I dive into it, and that's the wide receivers. Mostly about who's going to be the number one Dallas Cowboy fantasy wide receiver between C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper who started to become a very undervalued name, in my opinion, throughout the industry because he just consistently gets overlooked for absolutely no reason at all. Yeah, I mean, I think Amari Cooper is an outstanding player. People seem to forget that Amari Cooper played basically on one ankle last year. He was hurt right at the beginning of the season and still gutted it out, so was very successful no matter who the quarterback was. His numbers dipped down, of course, a little bit because the quarterback play was so poor, but overall, he was still highly productive and I think that he's a true number one receiver. Um, you're not going to be able to double cover him. He's able to get in and out of his breaks. Great. He runs great routes. He's got speed. He's got the ability to get, in, you know, be that, that red zone target in a lot of ways who Dak looks for. And then I love C.D. Lamb. So I'm not trying to hate on him. I don't think C.D. Lamb's going to be an outstanding player. I think he's going to be a superstar in this league. I just don't think he's quite the number one yet. Um, I think the numbers won't be too far from each other. Maybe like a, a Jefferson Thielen type of thing or Diggs and Thielen used to be. Um, I kind of yeah, threw out Chris Carter and he wants with the Vikings offense in a way. I see you're going to see C.D. Lamb's going to have the ability to be, because it's a slot position a lot of the time, he'll get maybe more targets in some games, um, maybe some bigger, bigger plays. But overall, Amari Cooper is their go-to guy. And as long as he's making the money he's making, as long as Dak Prescott's out in the field, I want Amari Cooper to be highly productive. I don't understand why people are kind of seriously sleeping on him. They may think that he wasn't as good as he could. Maybe his future in Dallas is kind of clouded. I think, if anything, I think he established that he is the number one guy who plays, like I said, playing on one foot last year, and no matter what the quarterback play, was still producing. So I love him going into this season, and I hope people continue to undervalue him because I love to have him on my team. Yeah, I mean, right now, his ADP is wide receiver 16. That's two spots ahead of C.D. Lamb. Look, I think they both should be close, and I actually have Lamb for one more touchdown and a few more yards, but I have Amari Cooper for more receptions depending upon what league you are in as a result of because just because CD lamb is in the role where he gets to go down the field a little bit more, but there's still this notion out there and I don't understand why that Amari Cooper is somehow inconsistent guys that died the second he left the Raiders. He has been nothing but consistent with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys and consistent on a low end wide receiver one type of level with Dak Prescott in there last season. He was consistent either way, actually, as far as receptions and targets go. 
without Dak, 100, he was on pace for 120 targets, 85 receptions. Oh, just 1,100 yards and six touchdowns with Dak. Now, granted, they were throwing the ball a ton with Dak, and we'll see exactly what happens. But he would have been on pace for 176 targets, 125 receptions, over 1,300 yards, and uh, a, three to, and, and six touchdowns again. The touchdowns pretty much stayed the same no matter what. Just to go to show. Now, again, I don't expect the same type of volume out of this Dallas Cowboy offense, especially not over the you know, progression of an entire season. But Amari Cooper was 69% of the time consistency. That's top 10 since he's been with Dak. He's not inconsistent. He's not Jekyll and Hyde. He is not a boomer bust guy and hasn't been since he came to Dallas. So how that narrative still stays live, I have absolutely no idea. And if you hear anybody tell you that Amari Cooper is inconsistent, that he is boomer bust, then you know, in your mind, as MD Nation, that person doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. They're not actually doing their research. So keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely agree. I think that Mari Cooper, like I said, I think he's borderline superstar. He's still young, still very productive. Yeah, he's going to be out for the preseason. People might be a little deterred by that. Maybe they're trying to think that CD's going to become, you know, steal his job in a sense. Like I said, I think Lamb is a superstar in this league. I just don't think his time is quite yet. Um, I think that Amari Cooper will continue to be the feature number one in this offense. And this is an offense, like I said, you want to get as many pieces as you can. Um, I think that he's going to be a guy that you talk to those numbers. While I think maybe they, the volume won't be so much there as was like last year, I do think the efficiency will improve a lot of ways. And the offense is going to improve. I think the touchdowns will go up. I wouldn't be surprised if Zach, you know, if he's able, Cooper is able to get you know, 10 touchdowns. I think Zach's p- touchdown passes is going to increase a lot more too. So I think that overall, you're going to see these Dallas numbers offensively jump up in a lot of ways. The point is this. Because he does have CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup to have to share from, it can limit his ceiling to some degree. But he is a solid wide receiver, mid to high level wide receiver two, with further upside, meaning wide receiver one upside. CeeDee Lamb as well. CeeDee Lamb's in about the same boat. I Their ADP is two spots different. That sounds, that sounds about right to me. That is the correct value because they both have mid to high end wide receiver to, I, I would say, a safe floor, frankly, with more upside than that, depending upon how they how they go with Dak, with this offense, taking a, another step. Let's not forget, this is going to be a third year of Kellen Moore, too. That's a big deal in his play calling ability, what he's been able to do. So my point is this. I like both Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. I give the edge to Amari Cooper as far as the volume goes, who's going to be the wide receiver one. Both are definitely worth drafting high. Both are going to have wide receiver one upside, but draft them as the wide receiver twos. And you should be able to. Again, overall, Amari Cooper's ADP is 44. So you're talking third, fourth round as of right now, 12-man leagues. And CeeDee Lamb is 48 ADP overall. So same thing. Third, fourth round, that's a steal. That's a steal for two guys who could easily finish in the top 12 this season. Yeah, I mean, that's they're not only a steal. Like I said, you're going to see a lot of receivers are going to be kind of pushed ahead of these guys. Well, I don't think, like you said, people need to do the research and then research their numbers. When you look at a team that's going to be able to feed this many mouths, and one of the things I'm excited about overall with the receiving core is because I think Zeke will be better, I think the offense line is going to improve, you can't double any of these guys. So unless Amari Cooper's playing against a Jalen Ramsey or somebody like that in week, week, one week, 
you're going to see him be beating the hell out of the whoever's sticking him because I think that you can basically you can't cover Amari Cooper one on one, and I think that's where you're going to have that great flow we're talking about. The guy I don't want to forget about. I don't want to forget about Michael Gallup. I really don't. There's this really negative narrative around him after being the guy who got left out. And yet, he is going to be that boom or bust type of candidate. He's not always going to be heavily involved because he, the way they play their offense is they have Michael Gallup line up as the X receiver so that way he gets the top corner more times than not to allow Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb to get their mismatches. But even last season, as bad as it seemed like it was, he was still getting about 20 yards per reception. He was just a big play guy. Now, you didn't know necessarily what was coming, and that's, that part 100% was frustrating. But if you draft him and use him accordingly, you use him as a matchup situational flex play, he's going to be a good receiver. And I have him projected as a guy who could be in that wide receiver three, that top 36 territory, even this season, even with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper doing their thing. With Dak last year, in that five-game stretch, he was on a pace for 90 targets, 54 receptions, and over 1,100 yards. Think about that. That was his pace for a guy that people were so frustrated by. You're still talking about an over 1,000-yard receiver for the pace that he was on. Don't forget about Michael Gallup. That's going to be a guy who's very much in sleeper territory for a lot of these guys. I have him projected for 64 receptions, 876 yards, and five touchdowns, putting him in that wide receiver three territory again. Because they're in a really good offense, he does come with some upside from that as well. But draft Michael Gallup accordingly. He's there in those late rounds. He's worth the pickup as a guy that you can put into your flex play as a boomer bust threat and maybe even more a little bit more consistent as his offense continues to grow. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at his numbers and what his production can be. He's better than a lot of the guys who are second receivers on their teams. Um, you know, people talk about like being said about Manuel Sanders being in Buffalo, for example. I think Michael Gallup's numbers are going to destroy Manuel Sanders' numbers overall for the season. Um, I think that a lot of teams are just kind of people are kind of stuck in this mindset of like you know only two receivers can eat. We used to see Green Bay have three receivers that eat pretty consistently. They had Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Devontae Adams. So it's just something that hasn't you know has been done before. And if you do have a good offense and you're able to be productive, all everybody can kind of be featured. And as a tip to kind of, you know, when you when you play Michael Galvin, when it comes, one of the things I like to do and keep in mind for a third receiver, um, I used to love Chris Henry back in the day for the Cincinnati Bengals because one big thing, they had Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada. So you knew those two guys were going to get a lot of detention. When they played a team that had a, a traveling one-on-one corner who I knew locked up on Chad Johnson, basically, you know, back then it was, a you know, a, a superstar, Daryl Drell Revis, somebody like along those lines. I looked to play that third receiver because I know that's the guy that the, you know, the quarterback's been looking for. So if Michael Gallup plays, like I said, we talked about the Rams before, if you see Dallas matched up against the Rams and you see, you know, Ramsey kind of matched up with him, you know it's a good play, a good week to play Michael Gallup because he's going to probably get a lot more targets that week. He's going to probably be a guy who's going to have a lot of one-on-one coverage and the guy that's kind of game planning to get the ball to. So that's where I kind of advise people to look at the kind of the game script Look at the defenses you're matched up for, and that will give you some tips whether to want to play Michael Gallup or not to play Michael Gallup. If you have a good enough offense with a high enough volume, three receivers can eat. Now, here's where we get into what the casualty of the offense I think will probably be, and that's the tight end position. Look, I don't really care if it's Blake Jarwin or Dalton Schultz. The overall point would be this. Whoever the starting tight end of the Cowboys is, is not somebody you have to draft. So just put that on your mind. But, 
it could be somebody worth keeping an eye on if you have to stream a tight end, which always has to happen every single year. Could be worth keeping an eye on for sleeper DFS purposes throughout the season. Because whether it's Blake Jarwin, whether it's Dalton Schultz, they'll have kind of a similar role. They'll get to kind of play that extra seam where they might just get be forgotten about by the opposing defense because you have these receivers, you have Dak, you have Ezekiel Elliott, you have to, you know, compensate for. So you're going to have those sleeper busts, you know, boom potential games. You don't have to draft the Dallas Cowboy tight end. So I'm not going to get too wrapped up in it. I do have it being Blake Jarwin. I think they will give him, because he got hurt so early on last year, I think they're just going to give him one more shot to be the guy. But ultimately, this is something you wait to see how it plays out during the season between a Blake Jarwin and a Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't think these tight ends, either one of these tight ends are guys worth drafting or targeting. I think maybe if you're, you know, have a guy on by or you're trying to stream the tight end here or there, they're guys you might consider to play, but you're really going to have a hard time projecting when they're going to be effective um, because I think the three receivers, and we talked about Zeke being involved in the passing game, it leaves very limited targets for these guys to kind of be featured. Um, they might get some, you know, cheap touchdowns here or there, or maybe have a big game here or there, but overall, I wouldn't expect them to be heavily involved. We also see them kind of take off more and do more once, you know, Dak Prescott went down. Um, I think Dak, you know, is more aggressive, particularly on the outside um, than, you know, Andy Dalton was, or I forget the rookie kid they tried to throw out there for a couple of weeks. Um, they, they, they really basically are guys were just, you know, captain check down guys, guys looking for the time to dump it off as quickly as possible. And that's where you saw the tight ends be more effective and utilized a lot more. I think when Dak's out there, you do see him basically try to use the receivers as much as possible and or Zeke. And I think that's what you're going to continue to see. So those tight ends, you know, they may have a little bit of value here or there, but they're not somebody I necessarily care about having on my draft board at all. Yeah, agreed 100%. Let's move on to the Cleveland Browns. And there's a lot of things to talk about the Browns, but the main thing that we have to kick off this segment with is the Browns with and without OBJ. Now, when it comes to Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield fantasy purpose-wise... Unless you're in super flex leagues, I don't know how much interest anybody's really having to Baker Mayfield. We saw him play at his ceiling last year, which is in the second half of the season. And he was still QB 17. He's a QB two, with or without OBJ. This offense is built around the running game, and one receiver can be fantasy relevant. It's essentially what it boils down to. It's a very good team. But for fantasy purposes, you're targeting running backs. Not a whole hell of a lot else. In I'm reading it here now. In in weeks one through seven, which is with with OBJ, he was QB nineteen. Weeks eight through seventeen, he was QB seventeen. So he moved up two spots. Now, efficiently NFL wise, he was a much better quarterback uh, without OBJ which is very, very odd. But now we have more of a sample size. It wasn't just last year. It was the year before, too. When OBJ went down, for some reason, Baker Mayfield seems to be a better quarterback. I think it's a two-part a two thing. Um, number one, I think they haven't had a lot of time off-season to kind of work out together until this, this season right now. And part of that is I think people are trying to justify, and particular Baker trying to justify OBJ and use him as much as possible, even when you overlook for him. He's more of a point guard type of quarterback where he's able to spread the ball and kind of make his quick reads. That's when he's most effective. But I think because they were such a hell bent on trying to make sure he was featuring OBJ and kind of utilizing him, 
I think that he kind of stared down his targets a little bit longer. I think he tried to force the ball to him a lot more often. And that's where you saw more turnovers. You saw more, you know, less yards per catch. I think when Higgins is out there and the two tight ends were out there, he kind of knows where he wants to go with the ball much more easily because it's the first read whoever's open I throw it to. It's kind of what he's used to doing for an Oklahoma in college. And like I said, he's, I think he's more of a – he's not a guy who necessarily has a howitzer as an arm. So it, him trying to, like, lock on to guys and throw the ball in there isn't his most effectiveness. It reminds me a lot of Kirk Cousins in a lot of ways, where he, production-wise for fantasy. I think that's where you see Kirk Cousins' maybe ceiling is, is probably where you see Baker Mayfield's ceiling would be. You know, there's going to be weeks where he's going to have big games because teams will just try to take away the run. Um, I think that if OBJ and him, are, you get on a similar page to a degree. You do have him, you have Jarvis Landry, you have Cooper, you have um, – the other tight end. So they actually have guys to kind of Hunter Bryant. Um, you have guys that can actually, you know, be utilized in a lot of different ways. Cream Hunt get the ball out of the backfield. So they can score offensively throwing the ball. Um, we saw Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs be productive for a long period of time in that offense. So I do think two guys can eat an offense. I just think it's a matter of not forcing the ball to guys. And hopefully there won't be such a conscious effort to do so with more of a chance to kind of get on the same page and kind of two years now for Cleveland to kind of figure out how they want to use OBJ. One thing I've been terribly disappointed with them is it basically made him, especially the first year on the Todd Kitchen, they were just basically throwing the ball like deep all the time with OBJ. Um, it was like bombs or nothing. And that part, he can't be, he's not a bomb or nothing guy. He's a guy who can do drags. He's a guy who can get screens. So they got to figure out how to kind of get the ball in his hands quicker and more effectively than they have been the last two years as well. I think they have to ignore him. I think he can't get a special treatment. I think for Baker to be Baker, he has to be just another wide receiver. Because I think it's the name of why they just he just he just presses it. I mean, look at it with ob with OBJ. He's double digit interceptions. Without him, he had a nineteen to two touchdown the interception ratio, a thousand more yards. That's his pace without an OBJ. It, there's more to it than that. Simply put, you can't you can't force feed him. Now let's talk about OBJ in this instance too. The big thing for him for fantasy purposes is that, of course, he's got to find a way to stay on the field. I mean, this is beyond ridiculous at this point. He's pretty much living off of a reputation from 2017. That's the last time OBJ was actually any good for fantasy football purposes. Now, he's the ultimate wild card. He really is. Because you could get him late because no, no, one, no one's excited about OBJ because he's such a wild card as it is. But there is a scenario because of his talent, and I do believe he's still very talented, that he could be a league winner for you if he's able to just emerge, if him and Baker are able to stay on the same page. I mean, we've seen Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen with Kevin Stefanski perform very, very well. There's no reason that an OBJ and a Jarvis Landry shouldn't be able to do the same thing. But until this point, that hasn't been the case. And even in Jarvis Landry's situation, He's not any good unless OBJ's off the field because he doesn't get targeted until OBJ's off the field. So we have to see a fundamental change from Baker Mayfield with OBJ before we can really accurately know exactly what to expect out of this passing attack. I 100% agree. also think we need to see what the coaches are going to do. One of the things that when Vikings did struggle with both the receivers involved, was when Stefan Diggs was only playing the outside and Adam Thielen was only playing in the inside the slot. And what you need to see Cleveland kind of do is switch that up and move it around a little bit, which the Vikings figured out eventually too. And that's why they were able to kind of get both guys involved more often. Diggs can play the slot, so could Thielen. Same thing with OBJ and Landry. You got to kind of move those guys around. They can't be stationary. They can't always be the outside receivers. And I think you got to kind of 
game plan accordingly as a coaching staff. And I think Sipowski is going to be the key to this. I think if he makes more of a conscious effort to figure out how to move these guys around and, like I said, get the ball in their hands quicker versus kind of having guys constantly down the field looking for one guy kind of being the go guy and the other guy kind of being the underneath guy, they need to kind of figure out how to switch it up for a lot of different ways. I think the production can you know increase as accordingly. Look, at the end of the day here, too, because this offense is built the way that it is, you can't expect more than a wide receiver three performance out of an OBJ or if OBJ is hurt, you can't expect more of a wide receiver three performance out of Jarvis Landry. Last year, Landry was wide receiver 43 between weeks one and seven with OBJ. With Adam, he was wide receiver 30. He finishes the year as wide receiver 37. The pace OBJ was on for the first seven weeks was wide receiver 37. You're talking about just outside that wide receiver three territory. I have OBJ missing five games this year because he has a three to one injury rate ratio. So that's what's baked into his projections on a per game basis. I have him finishing as a higher end wide receiver three. So you're talking about 25, 27 range, somewhere in there. Now, again, because he's OBJ, he has, he has a ton more upside. But you can't expect more than that. And you have to take into consideration you're getting a guy that may miss at least a third of the season. So it's a matter of what value you get for him at this point. ADP-wise, he's going in that fifth, sixth round. That's actually too high for an OBJ. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I think you, you're going to have to basically as a wild card. I wouldn't reach on OBJ necessarily. I do. I think it's kind of odd that Jarvis Landry is so far down from OBJ though in his, his ADP, um, where it says he basically Landry's, and you know, it kind of maybe because what you talked about at the beginning of the season, he started off so poorly. But I think one thing we kind of forget is that was Cleveland's like fifth offense in the last for three or four years. They keep changing offensive coordinators. They kept changing game plans. Kept changing different pieces. I think this is going to be one of the first years that every piece is going to come back again for a second year under the same kind of coaching staff. So you can have Stefanski kind of being able to adjust. And as a play caller, I think he adjusted as the season progressed as well last year. That's why they kind of saw improvement in offense in general. You know, it wasn't just OBJ going off the field. It was an offense that became more effective and more efficient. I think you're going to see some similar carryover from that. And I also think that you're going to see these guys be able to be more utilized in different ways where they're just not learning the playbook for the first time in a sense. Um, so I think that's where you can kind of see some of these guys kind of take off. Now, I don't, like I said, I don't want to reach an OBJ. I'm not going to make him my receiver too necessarily. But I think if you can get OBJ as your third receiver, you'll be sitting pretty, you know, towards the end of the season. You, you'll have a guy with a lot of potential upside w- w- without a doubt. And, and Landry's situation, Landry's tough. He's the type of guy that you really ultimately, you don't really want to draft him. There's not a lot of upside. Again, he's really only a wide receiver three if OBJ's not on the field. You can't you can't really count on for anything else otherwise. He doesn't have a ton of upside. He needs volume to be the guy. But he's a guy at the same time, because he's Jarvis Landry, because of his role in the offense, you can't let him go undrafted. So I guess the question becomes, where is the correct value for Jarvis Landry? My opinion, double-digit rounds. Is he going to be projected to have more value than that? Yeah, yeah, he is. But because of the limited upside, because you kind of have to wait for OBJ to get hurt, he's a guy I just don't want a lot of shares of at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that when you draft Jarvis Landry or you know OBJ, like I was saying, you've got a kind of a role in mind for them how you want him to kind of fit your team. You don't want them to necessarily be your key number two receiver, your key number three receiver. You want to kind of have them as a luxury that they can go off for an extra piece that they're out there from week to week or if they get hot and kind of see how as this team unfolds. I do think, though, 
that people are kind of banking on Cleveland continuing to be the same team in a lot of ways. And like I said, I think it's going to actually be improvement offensively with them because the offensive line will be together a whole other season too. And it's pretty one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I think that Baker will be more comfortable. And I think that all the pieces kind of fit well. So I'm hopeful, especially when it comes to how they can all materialize and how they can all eat, is that they can all be kind of utilized properly. I think Jarvis Landry is best when he's kind of featured, but I also think Jarvis Landry is a guy that is a beast in across the middle and a beast that you know, able to after the tackle. So I just feel like I said, you know, I've kind of beaten the drum, but they need to be able to get these guys the ball more quickly. They need to figure out more of a passing game in some senses. Um, with that running game, these guys are going to see a lot of one-on-one coverage. So there shouldn't be a reason that they can't be utilized a lot more effectively. Here's what I will say to that. They are being projected at their floor. They're being drafted at their floor. So you can make the argument there's nothing but upside at that point. Because again, the risk is so heavily baked in in everyone's mind that there's really no reason you should be overdrafting these people or reaching on these people. You should have the opportunity to take them at a value that could just benefit. Or you have to move on. But let's talk, about the, let's talk about the fantasy implications of the Browns that actually matter. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Both, both finishing the top 12 in fantasy last year. How often, let's just reflect on that real quick. How often do you actually see two running backs of the same team technically both finish as RB1s? Very rare. Extremely rare. It was just, that was how good, to your point, I think the offensive line might have gotten even a little bit better. We know Nick Chubb missed a few games last year. It was just incredible what these two were able to do. And here's the point I want to make, too. A lot of people are trying to hype on, or not hype on, but drive down Kareem Hunt as if you shouldn't be taking him in the top five rounds. 100% you should be. Even when Nick Chubb is on the field, he's a flex play. He's an RB3, a high-end RB3 at that. At worst, at worst, with Nick Chubb on the field. He gets the majority of the passing work. That's not going to go away this year. Think it's going to change? They both get their series to do their thing. Here's the rotation of a Kareem Hunt and a Nick Chubb when both on the field. Nick Chubb gets more carries. He gets the goal line carries. But Kareem Hunt gets about 40% of the carries himself. He gets about 70% of the targets. He's an RB2, even with Nick Chubb on the field. You can get him as a flex, as an RB3. I love me Kareem Hunt again this season because for some reason, people have it in their minds that he only got to the height that he did last year because Nick Chubb got hurt. That's not the case. That's not the case. And another example of people not actually doing their research if you're hearing that from them. Well, I'm going to struggle with this one because I'm not as big on Kareem Hunt um, because I, I, I understand the numbers from last year. I actually think Kareem Hunt's being drafted too high right now, and I think his ADP is a little higher than I would prefer. Um, I think Kareem Hunt's definitely a flex play. I think he's definitely an option that you'd like to have out there, but I don't necessarily feel like he's going to be as featured as he was last year. And I think part of that's because I believe in the receivers a bit more this year and being utilized a lot more, where I think Kareem Hunt maybe suffers as a result of that. But if you're going to argue that the offense is going to be exactly what it was last year, then I can't debate. You know, I think Kareem Hunt could be just as effective. I just kind of think this offense is going to continue to evolve, and they're going to need the receivers because receivers are basically putrid last year. So I think they depended on the running backs for like everything. Um, and I think that's where it's going to maybe be a little bit of a change, but maybe not. 
Um, but I, for me right now, cream hunts a little too rich for my blood. With Nick Chubb last year from weeks one through three, Kareem Hunt was still an RB12 with a healthy Nick Chubb. Getting over 40% of the carries, getting over 70% of the targets. With Nick Chubb out from weeks five to eight, RB10. Didn't change that much. Again with Nick Chubb, weeks nine through 17, the rest of the way, RB19. Chubb started to get more of the carries, but he still maintained a 75% of the work share when it comes to the targets, I do not see a significant change when it comes to the usage between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb at all, period. All of that adds up to Kareem Hunt is an RB2, even with Nick Chubb. Now, the reason I'm, I'm harping on the Kareem Hunt side of this thing is because Nick Chubb's an RB1. I don't think there's any argument to be, to be had there one way or another. He is an RB1. He is a top 10 running back. He is a superstar. And if Kareem Hunt were to get hurt himself or if Nick Chubb were ever to take over a full workload, he would be a top three running back. We know Nick Chubb is fantastic. We know he's going to be great. He was RB7 last year. He didn't even play a full season. That's how great he was. So uh, both of them, at the end of the day, you want them both on your team. If Kareem Hunt's going to be a guy who goes in the fifth round, you run and draft him at that. Because again, you still have the upside of if something happens to Chubb, you got an RB1 bona fide on your hands. Well, I think Nick Chubb is definitely number one running back, and I think he's definitely a first-round talent that I wouldn't dare dispute. Like I said, I think Cream Hunt in the fifth round is a little rich for my blood, but I can't argue if you're really strong and you don't really want him. I just love Nick Chubb. I love his offensive game. I think that he's continued to be blossom in this offense. Um, people kind of doubt him and doubt his production fantasy-wise because he doesn't catch the ball or isn't involved in the passing game as much. Then there's Derrick Henry. So it doesn't really matter whether or not you're necessarily catching the ball all the time. It matters are you effective in the red zone and do you get big plays. Nick Chubb consistently gets big plays. He averages almost five yards per carry, and he's a big back on top of that. So when you have a guy that combination of speed, strength, and ability, I think that you basically have a true number one running back, and you can't pass on him. He's the guy that I kind of feel like people might overlook in the first round, and they shouldn't. No, again, just to harp on that point, finishes as the RB9 in half-point PPR leagues in 12 games without being a guy who catches the ball. He, like Derrick Henry, they are unique in that sense where they don't have to get a ton of targets to still be RB1s, even in your PPR leagues. So that, that, that doesn't change for me. But again, I just want to harp on, don't forget about Kareem Hunt. Stop acting like this role is going to change too drastically. This offense isn't going to change super drastic. There might be some adjustments here and there. Maybe the passing attack with the wide receivers gets a little bit better. But ultimately, the roles of a Nick Chubb and a Kareem Hunt when both on the field do not change. And because this offense will still be running back centric no matter how they make an adjustment going into the second year of Kevin Stefanski because ultimately that's what this offense is built to do is to be running back eccentric. They're both going to be great, great values. Uh, I have Nick Chubb as a top 10 running back. I have Kareem Hunt as a top 24 running back with the projections going into this season. Here's something I really am happy to see. People are finally starting to realize that there's no point in drafting Austin Hooper. His ADP right now is tight end 21. Or, I'm sorry, his ADP is actually tight end 26. He finished as tight end 21 last year. Good. Good. I don't know why there was all this hype about Austin Hooper last year. I, At least I did, anyway. Knew, if you were paying any attention to what was going on in the Browns camp, knew that Austin Hooper wasn't going to get all the tight end. I know he got paid like crazy, but he wasn't going to get all the tight end work. They want to work in Hunter Bryant. David Njoku, shockingly enough, I don't know why, but still on the team. They work these guys in. 
There's another situation where there's good talent at the tight end position. Baker likes to throw to the tight end in the red zone, but there's not one tight end to be had here because they all eat into each other. Yeah, and I think tight ends are necessarily featured in this offense. I mean, we talked about the Viking offense and Sam Paskin when he was in Minnesota. You know, they had Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, and you didn't get production you're expecting out of either one of those position players because you talked about the split. You talked about how they both utilized. There's just basically, it's not a lack of talent these guys have. It's a lack of involvement in the offense in a lot of ways. So these, just both those tight ends are not guys I'm going to have on my board either, similar to what we talked about before. These are just guys that basically are going to eat into each other's production and don't really necessarily sit on the top of the food chain when it comes to who's going to be featured offensively week in and week out. So they might have some production here or there, but I think Austin Hooper isn't a superstar player in a sense, and therefore, as a tight end, between him and Bryant, there's no real difference in the skill sets. Um, so you're not going to see a guy town and take over for the other guy, so to speak, and you're going to see probably a lot of two tight end sets as a result also. also. And if Kareem Hunt's going to be featured, and we know what kind of the receivers they have, we don't really necessarily see the tight ends being involved that whole lot, and we haven't seen that traditionally from the last couple of years. The only note I want to make when it comes to the tight end position is if you're in dynasty leagues, I do like Hunter Bryant over the long term because I think after this season, maybe next year, they can get out of Austin Hooper's contract. I would expect David Njoku to be gone. There's a scenario that within the next two years, Hunter Bryant will be the guy, and I like his talent. I keep saying Hunter Bryant. It's actually Harrison Bryant, but I, I like his talent a lot in that situation. And if he ever becomes just the guy, then I think he becomes interesting. For From a dynasty standpoint, I do like Harrison Bryant quite a bit. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have the Panthers and the Raiders to talk about along with the mailbag segment in today's show. So stay tuned with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN also presents to you by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer as we're Continuing on with our team profile series, we talked about the Browns and the Cowboys in the first half of the show. Now we're going to get into the Panthers and the Raiders. Now it's time for us to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Now, of course, the main storyline for the Panthers this season is the addition of Sam Darnold with the subtraction of Teddy Bridgewater. Chris, I'm going to let you take this first. What changes with Sam Darnold, if anything? I mean, one of the things I think overall, we were kind of disappointed in Teddy Bridgewater's overall number, particularly in the red zone. But I see Sam Darnold, his ceiling, in my opinion, is what Teddy Bridgewater did last year. I have no confidence in Sam Darnold. I don't think he's a legit NFL quarterback. I don't know why he gets 400 get-out-of-jail-free cards. He seems to be get this thing of well, Adam Gase, and then you're in the Jets, they had no weapons. I've seen other quarterbacks get chewed up and thrown out other different situations way faster and need to be, you know, more uh, fans, I should say, more aggressive about why these guys are not in your bus, basically. I don't understand Sam Darnold's ability that's so tantalizing everybody. I think he was a top five pick in the first place in the draft. Um, I continue to be disappointed in the teams that take shots on him. 
And one, frankly, Carolina's offense, especially with Joe Brady, who I just absolutely love, could do so much better than this guy. This guy's not an accurate quarterback. He has struggles with throwing rhythm. He hasn't been productive since he's been a pro. And I hope that maybe it changes because I love the rest of the team, but I just don't really see it having much of a jump or how much you can have a, a much of a positive impact overall on offense. This is what the Carolina Panthers should do with Sam Darnold. Prepare to be flushed. Flush him down the toilet, send him out, get him out of your team, just like you would in a waiver in your fantasy football league. This trade made no sense to me whatsoever. We talk about this off-air all the time, just to give a little sneak peek to the MD Nation out there. I have never seen a quarterback get more jail out of free cards than a Sam Darnold. Never. Any other quarterback, they would have already been labeled a bust. They would have already been labeled somebody who can't start in the NFL. He's been awful. I know the Jets have been a terrible team. I know Adam Gase is a terrible coach. I've made many jokes at Adam Gase's expense. That is not lost on me whatsoever. But I do not want to hear Sam Darnold is the next Ryan Tannehill because he's going to Joe Brady and Carolina Panthers anymore. I don't want to hear it. Ryan Tannehill under Adam Gase, same coach, same terrible situation, same terrible offense, frankly, where they had one good slot receiver and nothing else. Tannehill was better than Sam Darnold in every single statistical category under Adam Gase. Every single one. He was better. Wasn't a top five pick, yet he was better. I know it was bad last year, but Sam Darnold still finishes at QB 31. Here's another factor about Darnold that just seemingly doesn't get talked about enough. He's injury prone. He has yet to finish an entire NFL season in his career. Has not played 16 games yet. And now we're going to 17 games. He actually has a 5 to 1 injury rate ratio. I have him missing at least three games this season, which keeps him on par because he's missed three games every single year, uh, every single year in his career so far. He's missed at least three games a season. 59% completion rate. That's not all on Adam Gase. Sam Darrell gets touted as this guy who's supposed to be this West Coast type accurate quarter. He's not accurate. He still doesn't even get the 60% of completion rate. There's nothing about Sam Darnold that should make you think this is an improvement over Teddy Bridgewater in any capacity. Teddy Bridgewater had a higher completion percentage throughout his entire career, but especially last year. Actually ranks higher than Sam Darnold in deep pass attempts. So this idea that the deep ball suddenly will be there and won't be a captain check down offense, it 100% will be. Sam Darnold is not an improvement in any capacity whatsoever. So what does that do for Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore? Well, honestly, I think you kind of saw both of them at their ceilings last year with the quarterback play that they have. And being that I don't think the quarterback play changed, if anything, it might have gotten a little bit worse. I think there's more of a question of what roles are they playing? Because we were we, you and I both last year liked Robbie Anderson a lot and knew that he would be more productive than people were giving credit for. However, I didn't expect him to go complete check down, man. I didn't expect him to be complete underneath, man, all the time. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. So the question is, are they keeping these same roles or are they going to reverse them back to what you think they would be, which is Robbie Anderson being more of the play threat and DJ Moore being the underneath guy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think both of us were throwing the curveballs last year. We we thought DJ Moore would definitely be more utilized as the underneath guy. Um, I'm not as big a DJ Moore fan as a lot of people seem to be out there. I think he's uh, I think he's productive. I think he's a pretty he's a decent talent, but I don't think he's a deep threat necessarily. So I was definitely surprised to see his usage last year. And this narrative that Robbie Anderson's also going to have even better production because Sam Darnold is going to be there. This is just asinine to me. Um, mm-hmm. We saw that to your point, we've seen Teddy Bridgewater basically is the ceiling we're going to see for these receivers in a sense last year, maybe more touchdowns productive. Look like red zone can't be as nearly as bad as it was in a lot of senses, but we saw the volume there for those guys. Robbie Anderson was not featured with the jets. And you know, talk about guys weapons. Robbie Anderson was on the jets with Sam Darnold and he still wasn't highly productive. So don't get it twisted that all of a sudden because he's now he's in Carolina, it's going to be so much different. They had, they had James Crowder, James Crowder. Is he that much different than a DJ Moore? I mean, look at the talent-wise, what they had around them. The offensive line is not specifically better in Carolina than it was in New York. So I'm trying to figure out this narrative that Sam Darnold's all of a sudden be a better quarterback because he's in Carolina. Joe Brady, yes, is absolutely heads and tails way, way better than Adam Beast ever will be. 100%. But we've seen, this, we've seen this guy have weapons around him. He had a Le'Veon Bell. Talk about Captain Checkdown. Le'Veon was only productive because Sam Darnold doesn't look down the field. All he does is look down to the closest guy to the ball. Make Chicago Harfield continue to be valuable, sure. But I see this offense actually sputtering in a lot of ways and actually having a decrease in production. And I cannot believe they picked up his, his option and paid him $18 million. Because basically ensures him he's gonna have a, you know another shot to be the quarterback again next year. Um, I haven't there's nothing that impresses me with Sam Darnold in Carolina. There's nothing that excites me. And to your point about the receivers and what roles they kind of take, I think that doesn't really matter as much as it does Sam Darnold. He's not aggressive down the field. So you better hope that DJ Moore is close, is utilized more closer to the um the red sorry line of scrimmage because if he's going to be a deep threat again, talk about you know attempts down the field. Ryan Tannehill with you know other narratives of Ty Bridgewater not being aggressive enough. Sam Darnold is not aggressive down the field, and if DJ Moore is going to run primarily go routes and deep routes, he's going to his production is going to fall off the face of the earth in my opinion. So you got to kind of figure out not only where these guys are going to be utilized in this offense, but even if they are utilized who's going to actually get the ball to them. So I'm really, really curious to see this offense in general. And I'm kind of sad because I think Carolina was had a team, had a lot of things going for themselves in a lot of different ways. And like I said, I love Joe Brady as a coordinator. Yeah. I mean, I think they'll find a way to be competitive like they were last season, but just to kind of reiterate the point with DJ Moore, 2020, 18.1 yards per catch. 2019, which is, you know, to this point was his fantasy breakout year. 13.5. You're talking about almost a five-yard difference per catch. That's how different the roles were. I would expect, like you, that the roles will reverse this season and go back to DJ Moore being the more underneath, being more of the slot guy with Robbie Anderson playing more deep field. That's kind of what I would expect. As a result of that, DJ Moore does have a safe floor. As long as that's the role he's going to be playing. And I do think that's what's going to wind up happening. I haven't projected for about 124 targets, 80 receptions, 1,100 yards, four touchdowns. Let's keep in mind with DJ Moore, that's the one thing I don't like about him. He doesn't score. Even last year, he doesn't score. Four touchdowns, that's been his mark pretty much every year in his career. I don't have that being any different this season. But in half-point PPR, that keeps him at a solid wide receiver too. I don't think he has much more upside than that, but I do think that's a solid floor for him. Robbie Anderson is the one that changes. Last year, Robbie Anderson finishes the wide receiver 23. I have him squarely as a wide receiver for this year and a boomer bust rate 
at best, quite frankly, for him. Getting just over 100 targets, he's still going to be the second guy there. But again, 68 receptions, 860 yards, only four touchdowns in his own right because you're dealing with a quarterback. Even, even go back to his time with the Jets, with Robbie Anderson, who should have been the bona fide number one wide receiver there. Go back to that. He still wouldn't throw him the ball until it was the end of the year where they had nothing left to lose and it didn't matter anymore. The last thing Sam Darnold's going to want to do is walk in and make mistakes because everyone's going to have him under their thumb. When he plays pressure football, when he feels the pressure, I should say, he's a when he sees ghosts. He's a when he sees ghosts. He is a beyond crappy quarterback. Beyond crappy quarterback. Why that doesn't change with Joe Brady? He's not taking this Ryan Tannehill level leap. It's not going to happen. So I still like DJ Moore as a wide receiver too. Because what I expect his role in that offense to be. Robbie Anderson's a guy that, to me, doesn't have a lot of upside. At best, as a wide receiver four. Somebody might pick up and play in spots here and there throughout the year. That's about it. As a result of that, I don't have Terrace Marshall, somebody you really care about for redraft purposes either. I still would hold on to Terrace Marshall. Dynasty, I'm not hold on to. Obviously, you're going to draft him. But dynasty-wise, there's a good chance they move on from Robbie Anderson after next year. We'll see when they move on from Sam Darnold. I do like, as long as Joe Brady's there, I like Terrace Marshall a little bit because he already has the the chemistry there going back to college. But he's strictly a dynasty guy. He's nobody I really care about for 2021. And then even the tight ends. I don't care about the tight ends. I don't, I don't care about Dan Darnold. Dan Arnold, how many chances? Talk about guys who have chances. How many times do I have to hear Dan Arnold is a possible breakout tight end candidate to be like, you know what? Maybe he's just an average Joe. Can we just accept that he's an average Joe? We have to talk about. Give me your two cents on it because we don't talk too much about the tight ends. No, I mean, I think we heard the same narrative coming out of New York for a couple of years about Chris Herndon and different tight ends. And once again, we're talking about Sam Darnold. How much does he actually utilize the tight ends? And then to go to Joe Brady, when you look at him at LSU, the tight ends were not involved in the passing game. So I don't understand why this this idea that because they send Dan Arnold, all of a sudden he's going to be super productive. He'll have a game here or there where he does okay. But you're not gonna want you're not gonna want Darnold on your team, um, and you don't care about Ian Thomas either. I think both these guys are basically just guys, um, and I think with the added draft and Terrence Marshall, it basically takes away completely all their value. And one thing about this, when people talk about Terrence Marshall, real quick, while he might have some long term you know value, where I think that he actually is going to be a problem is for those receivers production overall. I think DJ, DJ Moore is a prototypical slot receiver, and the fact that he's not playing in a slot yet again another year. I think it's going to be an issue for them. And we know Sam Darnold has a hard time throwing to the outside receivers. That's why I'm kind of questioning the receiver production overall. He loves to throw the ball in the middle. That's where he predominantly throws the ball, whether it's to the running back, whether it's to the, the slot receiver. Now, if there was a tight end utilized and there was a three receiver set out there in Carolina, maybe the tight end would be utilized a lot more. But we've seen with three receivers, it's usually Crowder. It's usually that slot receiver. It doesn't matter who else is, whoever's long as in the slot, whoever's only eight, five, seven, seven to eight yards down the field, that's who Sam Darnold looks for across the middle. So I don't expect, I expect that because Terrence Marshall is only a slot receiver in a lot of ways, you're going to see that this guy can get off the line consistently when people put their hands on him, that he's going to be lining up in a slot most of the time, which I think takes away from the other two receivers in a lot of ways. And I, I think it absolutely just takes away complete tight end value overall. Yeah, the only thing, good thing about Dan Arles is I don't have to hear about Ian Thomas being a breakout candidate anymore. So just that, that is the only good thing about him, frankly. So other than I have DJ Moore as a wide receiver too, the only other real fantasy ass of this team that I actually want to target, and of course, Chris McCaffrey, 
I'm not worried about the injuries from last season. That doesn't make me cool on him. He probably will be my number one running back once I've gone through everything all together. Talk about Sam Darnold. I know he'll check the ball down. It's Chris McCaffrey on top of that. So I don't care who the quarterback was. Chris McCaffrey will get his, you know, his, his targets regardless. But especially emphasize with a guy like Dan or Sam Darnold at the quarterback position. I'm not worried about Christian McCaffrey losing any kind of significant work share with the drafting of Chuba Hubbard or coming off of an injury. He's a bell cow guy. Even last season, when he was trying to come back too early and he was working his way back and he came back later on the season, he still got 90% of the work in that game where he wasn't 100% healthy. And Mike Davis was playing really well up until that point, and he still got that much workload in that game. When Chris McCaffrey's out there, it's very, very difficult to take a guy like that off the field. And I think that's what it winds up boiling down to. That's why, look, even if he goes from 90% of the workload across the board to 80% of the workload across the board, he's still on RB1. He's still going to be phenomenal. He finished as a, the lowest he finished was top six running back in his three games last season. RB2, RB6, RB2 in the three games that he played last year, which were sporadic throughout the season. He's going to be phenomenal. There's no real reason in my mind to be afraid of Christian McCaffrey drafting him as number one overall. The great thing about him is because, because he's so involved in the passing game, his floor is through the roof. And unlike an Alvin Kamara, he still gets more carries than he does too, especially in the goal line situation. So Christian McCaffrey's great. Sam Darnold, the only thing I would say that's positive about Sam Darnold is that it still emphasizes McCaffrey getting the ball checked down to him. Yeah, I think it's the only player he definitely doesn't impact in a negative way. Christian McCaffrey is the number one player on my board. I think he, you know, by far is the most productive, best floor guy. Um, you talk about a guy who can do everything out of the backfield, whether it's running, catching, and is always going to be featured. Whether or not it's going to be 90% or 80%, to your point, if you're out there, you're getting the ball in his hands. So he's going to have his touches, and that's all I care about. I don't care if he sits there and some other guy pass protects once in a while or some other guy gets to get, you know, get a one-yard run. I wanted to see Christian McCaffrey when it matters. And when I think he's going to be out there, he's going to be utilized. Otherwise, it's, you know, Joe Brady's no moron. They're paying this guy a lot of money. They know he's a mismatch on any linebacker, or any player out there that matches up with them. And to your point, Sam Darnold will always check the ball down. He'll look for Christian McCaffrey. And the running game's not going to go away. Um, you know, Joe Brady's not afraid to run the ball. So as you talk about those numbers, it didn't matter if Christian McCaffrey wasn't even fully healthy. He was still highly productive. And I don't expect this to change in any kind of way. Chubba Hubbard's a nice little insurance policy that maybe you're not as, you know, it's putrid in a sense, you have more explosive to still in that backfield that he were to go down with injury or need to be limited a little bit. But overall, Christian McCaffrey is the guy that you want and is going to be the guy that I think I'm taking number one on my board. 100%. There's really nothing else to talk about with Carolina. So let's move on to our last team that we're going to talk about today the Las Vegas Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders. I'm not really excited to talk about the Raiders, honestly. But. Chris, go ahead. You look at the Raiders. You look at Gruden. You look at their situation. Their abysmal offseason. What jumps out to you? Can I just say that Gruden reminds me of Sam Darnold, a quarterback where I just hate both these guys? <laughs> where it's just like, why are you in the league still? Oh, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my big thing with the Raiders is I think Derek Carr has a decent floor because the volume will always kind of be there. Other than that, the upside is where you're just kind of scratching your head on this team. You have a, a, prototyp a prototypical true RB1 built back, and then they go out and sign Kenny Drake. 
We've already been annoyed in the past about watching people like Jalen Richard be used. We watched Doug Martin get used. Signing Drake just makes me kind of nervous about what Jacob's value is going to be. Add the fact that they just basically dismantled their entire offensive line. Most of their interior guys are all gone. And add to the fact that expect who to step up in the receiver position. I keep hearing, well, Henry Ruggs won't just be a go guy. He'll be more featured in different ways. They won't just have him run deep routes all the time. Why do you believe that? Number one, when has John Gruden ever utilized a speed receiver effectively in his, in his history of ever being there? He was good when he had Tim Brown, Jerry Rice. He's good with well, George Rich. Hey, when has he ever not used a veteran wide receiver? Keyshawn Jensen, exactly. He's going to use his veteran because they run the routes he wants in a run. And we told you last year, or I'm sure MD's show had told you last year, Henry Ruggs is a bust. And don't expect that he's going to be this great superstar player that everybody tried to build him to be. He's not Tyree Kill. He's not some kind of explosive guy that's going to get great with the ball in his hands. He runs poor routes. He's a, he's a glorified Marquise Goodwin. Godwin, I'm sorry. Um, no, Goodwin, I think, you were right the first time. Um, I think that when you talk about a guy who can maybe have some big plays here or there, sure. All he really does is open it up so Derek Carr can check the ball down. And this offense in general is going to be, I think, hard to watch because I think the offensive line really significantly has been reduced. Trent Brown was, you know, a beast. I think when you look at guys that they lost, at, at, and I'm not, um, I look at their tackles, they kind of play with Anthony Good and stuff like that. Let's see what they can do for a full season. I'm not impressed with the offensive line. I don't like what they did at the receiver position. I don't like what they did the running back position. I think they just cluttered everything. And this is a team that basically if Jacobs falls into my hand, the right value, I would take them. Other than that, I'm not trying to touch this team for the most part because well, I don't Darren know who's going to do anything from Darren Wall. Sorry, I apologize. Darren Wall is also a star player and has a great ability. Tight end will be utilized in a lot of different ways because Derek Carr is going to look across the middle. Um, but overall, I don't know how you actually guess who's going to be good. Because anybody seen Nelson Eichler being number one receiver for the Raiders going into last year? Nope. So, I mean, I have no idea how you're going to project who's going to be the top receiver for this team because I think week in, week out, you're going to see a change. And that's kind of how they're built. Tampa Bay doesn't, not Tampa Bay, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Vegas doesn't really feature a guy other than their tight end position. And I think overall, he's got this offense, is fantasy wise, this is going to be kind of a, annoying, if anything else. Yeah, it's just frustrating across the board watching what they did this offseason, dismantling what was a very good offensive line. Yes, it was a costly offensive line, but now you don't really know what to expect. This offensive line is not going to be as good as it was last season. They didn't really make, you're hoping Henry Ruggs, you're hoping Brian Edwards takes a step up because really you added John Brown in, which at this point in his career, I don't know how he would be different than what you got out of Nelson Aguilar a season ago. I mean, I, honestly, here's what I'll say about Derek Carr. I think this guy doesn't get talked about enough, not not from a fantasy standpoint, but just an NFL standpoint in general. He still he finishes the QB 13 last year with Nelson Aguilar and a no-show out of Henry Ruggs and no-show out of Brian Edwards, pretty much just having Darren Waller and a, 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 a Waller in a running game. And he still finishes the QB 13 last year. He gets very undervalued as far as how good of he is actually as a deep ball thrower. But Henry Ruggs just runs straight. They don't ask him to do much else. And before you go start going like, well, maybe they'll feature Henry Ruggs more. No, they won't. No, they won't. You know why? Because they signed John Brown. And again, it goes back to he plays the veteran wide receivers. That's the guy he goes to. John Gruden doesn't develop anybody. Name me somebody he developed. Nobody. It's only veterans. 
Nobody develops under. That's why I want to be excited about Brian Edwards. I like Brian Edwards a lot. I like his talent. I like his build. I like his role. I hate him with John Gruden. I hate him within that offense. I can't like him. I can't. I have John Brown as the number one receiver for this team, and he's still on a per-game basis because he has to deal with his own injury rate issues. A wide receiver five. I don't even see a Nelson Aguilar type emerging as, you know, Nelson Aguilar finished in the top 30 wide receivers. That was a surprise. I don't even necessarily see that. On a per-game basis, John Brown, a wide receiver five. I don't have high hopes for Henry Ruggs. I don't know why anybody would. His upside, what's his upside? He becomes a boomer bust threat. That's his upside. A wide receiver four, that's his upside. I don't know why you're excited by that. Darren Waller's great. There's no reason Darren Waller shouldn't get 135-plus targets, shouldn't get over 100 receptions, shouldn't get almost 1,200 yards, double-digit touchdowns. They're phenomenal. Number two tight end overall right behind Travis Kelsey. No argument there. You don't have to worry about that. So the only really thing that you have to dive into when you talk about this team from a fantasy standpoint, especially for 2021, is Josh Jacobs. He finished as an RB8 last year. Even that, though, feels a little bit misleading because it was kind of actually hit or miss throughout the season with him. It was a bit touchdown dependent. I must have missed the boat when Josh Jacobs became a first and second and goal line back only. I I still go back to his college days where he profiled as a pass-catching back, and yet he's not allowed to do it. You know he's not going to have to bring Kenyon Drake in for the amount of money that they brought him in. So when you're, when you're trying to evaluate Josh Jacobs, the question you have to ask yourself is, what's Kenyon Drake's role on first and second down? How often is he going to be used as a change of pace back outside of the third down passing situations? That's the question you have to ask yourself. When you go into it, here, here's ultimately what wound up happening for me. I still have Josh Jacobs getting projected out for 250 carries. Gruden still loves to run the ball. Josh Jacobs will still be the number one running back. So in some senses, I think we've gone hating the Raiders so much and what they did this offseason, and rightfully so, to really hating Josh Jacobs. And when I break it down, even if Kenyon Drake is involved in a very annoying, significant way, Josh Jacobs still has a very good floor. He still has a mid to high end RB2 type of season in front of him. What do you think? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And like I said, I think Jacobs has value. The problem I have is it's going to be a lot of game te- game plan dependent and especially game script dependent, where if they fall behind, then what happens to Jacobs? Oakland, you know, Las Vegas' defense is going to be horrendous again this year. I don't care how many dash tricks they put on that defense. They just seem to miss constantly anyway. And I think the defense will continue to be poor. So I expect there to be an opportunity to score points. But I also think that's where you're going to kind of wonder what happens to Jacobs in those games. Will it become just the Drake show? We kind of saw, like I said, Jalen Rashard become the guy who's primarily used a lot of ways because Jacob suddenly is allowed to be involved in the passing game. Um, and if they fall behind double digits, then the running game kind of goes away. So I think that's where it's kind of really concerning for him is why I think overall for the whole season, how what his statistics will be is very decent. But I think from week to week is where you're going to kind of struggle. When do you play him? Because a lot of times you're going to think this is the week to play Jacobs. And all of a sudden the team falls behind 10 points or 14 points. And he's, he's basically out of the game plan. Um, I, I'm, I hate the signing of Drake because two things. Number one, it's about expensive offensive line. Well, you could have saved some of that money instead of paying a running back for no reason, $10 million, and invested to keep some of those guys on offensive line. 
Um, I think that we know in the NFL that winning in the trenches is ultimately the best thing that you can do and the most productive place to be. So you want to spend your money in the trenches. I think what the Raiders did was it got all excited about these little fancy toys and have an idea of they're going to be this new Cleveland Browns team. It's about Kareem Hunt's value. Well, the problem with that is Cleveland has an outstanding offensive line. So when you look at what the Raiders are throwing out there versus Cleveland is, John Gruden can have in his head what he wants to do, but I think the reality is going to be a whole lot different as the season unfolds. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. Again, I think I have Jacobs projected closer to his floor. 250 carries, just over 1,000 yards, 7 rushing touchdowns, 40 targets, 36 This is what he did last year in a lot of ways, yeah. Right, exactly. And what he did last year, he finished in the top 10, ultimately speaking. So I guess my point is this. While I don't love Josh Jacobs' upside, and I'm frustrated by the fact that he doesn't seem to get the opportunity to expand his role, don't think Josh Jacobs is automatically a bust if you're taking him in the third round. Don't think he's not an RB2. Because there are some situations, there have been a part of some drafts where the hate has gone completely the wrong direction. There's a base floor. It's just a guy you want to make, he's a, he's a key guy, just like anybody else, but he is a guy in a situation where I think he's either going to be overdrafted or underdrafted. What I'm telling MD Nation is his ADP right now is RB14. His value is the third round. That's good value if you find yourself in that situation. He does belong there. Don't think you're taking a guy that's going to be a mistake or an overreach at that spot. He's going to have that. And then Kenyon Drake in his own right, I actually, on a per-game basis, he winds up being that RB3, RB4 mix. Now, his upside will be strictly tied to Josh Jacobs' health, which, for the most part, Josh Jacobs actually managed to stay pretty healthy throughout his career thus far on a pretty heavy workload. He's going to be somebody worth drafting. If you have Jacobs, I'm good with you having Kenyon Drake as a handcuff. He's one of the few handcuffs I think is worth spending the draft capital on if you're going to go that route to begin with. And he's going to have that kind of value. But again, his upside will be tied to Josh Jacobs, even in half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Because even in the passing attack, the Raiders really don't throw the ball unless they absolutely have to. So Drake isn't somebody... He's not like a... He's not a James White, in my opinion where you could take him in the sixth, seventh round and play him as a flex guy with a floor. But it'd just be interesting. It just, it just keeps Jacob's ceiling limited. That's essentially what this happens. But don't think he doesn't have a floor. That's pretty much my synopsis when it comes to Josh Jacobs this season. And I hate the Raiders. I hate John Gruden. You know anything else to add? What happened to Mayock? Because he's just horrendous I don't think, right now. Here's what I'm, I'm going to say this real quick before we get into the mailbag segment. I don't put a lot of this on Mayock because I get more and more convinced that Gruden's just run the show and Mayock's just there to take orders. I don't know how much Mayock really gets to say about anything. Okay, so I want to agree with that 100% offensively. Defensively, I feel like this is more of like a Kyle Shanahan-John Lynch kind of pairing in a sense where I think that there's a lot more say on the defense and in different positions when it for Mayock than other than the offensive positions. And their defense has struck out year in, year out. Every pick they make basically just flames, and almost every signing they have sucks. And they keep drafting safety after safety after safety. Guess what position Mayock used to play? Safety. Hmm. wonder if that's a coincidence, because it seems like they, none of them can please him, but his eye for talent has definitely been lacking. And I kind of saw that, I think, you know, we both talked about this off the air before, that we kind of wondered what was going on with him at the end of his you know, NFL.com career 
um, an NFL Network, I should say, career because he wasn't scouting as well. He wasn't having the information he used to have. And he kind of got caught up in certain hypes of certain guys. It seems like that seemed to kind of transition over where they're so about being ahead of everybody else or knowing more than everybody else does. That they're just terribly undervaluing what talent looks like and overvaluing guys that just basically suck. And, I mean, their corner position has been atrocious. Their defensive pressure has been atrocious. Every linebacker position they've signed wound up blowing up in their faces. They hire a defensive coordinator after defensive coordinator who just doesn't do anything to improve it. And I have to put some of that on Mayock because Gruden has a lot to say, a lot of things, I think, but I don't think he's making all those calls. And I think Mayock needs to hold the, you know, some accountability, too, for how much the Raiders are just pathetic. Sorry. No, I mean, I don't disagree with that. But here's, here's what I also think. As long as Gruden there, Mayock will be there. And because of the contract situation, where the Raiders do good or bad or whatever the case may be, uh, Gruden's probably there for at least a couple more seasons. Just the way their contract works out. It pretty much has to be. Otherwise, I mean, the Raiders will go broke. So we're going to have to suffer through this, or at least Raider fans are going to have to suffer through this uh, as we go forward for the next couple of years. But guys, guess what time it is? The mail's here. As always, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do, hit us up on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, and ask us a question. We'll pick out the ones we like, and even if you don't make it onto the show, we will take the time out to answer every single one of your questions because the MD's Famous Mobile Show is here to help you win your leagues and help in any possible way that we, we can, frankly. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Again, social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, and while you're at it, you know, hit the notifications because we're always doing player news updates as they come in as well. We make sure we give you the edge as much as possible. Our first question up today is Dimitri. Would you trade Deontay Johnson and Jerry Judy for Javante Williams? I'm assuming this is a dynasty question. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'm assuming it's a dynasty question as well. And I understand running backs are hard to find, but hell no, Dimitri. Hell no, I wouldn't trade those two receivers for him. While I love Williams, I think he's had a lot of talent. I think he'll be productive in Denver. Those two receivers, to me, have a lot of upside. They're going to be the true feature receivers in their offenses moving forward a lot of ways, especially PPR-wise. So I don't like move that trade at all, and I think that you're high undervaluing the receivers you have on your team if you're trading for that Javante Williams. I don't have as strong of a stance as you do. Now, here's what I'm going to preface this with. Do you, you know, desperately so much I do. do you desperately need running back? Number one, do you have a bunch of receivers already? Do you desperately need a running back? We don't know the rest of the confines of that, but let's just take it from the straight up face value of it. Deontay Johnson, Jerry Judy have very, very questionable quarterback situations in front of them over the next couple of years. We don't know what's going to happen to Pittsburgh Steelers when Ben Roethlisberger leaves. What kind of quarterback play they're going to have. Is it a Dwayne Haskins? Is it a Mason Rudolph? That doesn't look too promising. Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater for Denver doesn't look all that promising either. And I think people are really losing sight of the fact of what Cortland Sutton does to Jerry Judy's ceiling. Here's what I don't have a question about. I don't have a question about what Javante Williams is going to be over the next two to three years. I don't have a question when it comes to that. So while I would say the value leans more towards the wide receivers, I think given certain circumstances... I would actually be okay making that deal, depending upon what you need, what your wide receiver situation is, but also because I think there's a real risk involved with a Jerry Judy and Deontay Johnson in the next couple of years. 
Yeah, I don't see the same risk. I think the quarterback play has been not great the last couple of years, and they still these players have a lot of upside. And I love the talent for both these Jerry guys. Jerry Judy wasn't that great for fantasy purposes last year without a Cortland Sutton. He was also a rookie last year, and he had a, a abnormal amount of drops, which I don't think are going to continue for Jeremy, Jerry Judy in a lot of ways. Jerry Judy, to me, is one of the better receivers that's come out in this league in the last couple of years in the draft. And I was super excited for him to come out. So that's maybe that's where the difference is. I'm also a big Deontay Johnson fan. I know that you're not as big a fan as I am. So I look at talent. No, these that's two false. Guys. I love Deontay Johnson and Jerry Judy. Okay. I absolutely so then, love these guys. I think these talented these guys are, are something that I'm not going to let go of necessarily. And I understand the concerns that maybe the quarterback play changes, but I don't understand how it makes Javante Williams so much more valuable. Um, because I think he has the same quarterback under center with him. And I think he's going to be sharing time in the backfield this year. So I can't say what he's going to be in two, three years because we all thought Lindsey could be the guy in Denver. We all thought Royce Freeman could be the guy in Denver. Denver doesn't necessarily lock on to running back long term. So I have to see that materialize before I can just say, yeah, this guy's definitely money in the bank while these two receivers, because the quarterbacks could be changed or the play they have right now is aren't going to be guys I would keep on my team. They're going to move on from Melvin Gordon after this year. I think there's a little question in my mind. Javante Williams is the bell cow back come 2022. Here's where I break it down. Deontay Johnson, Jerry, Judy, given their quarterback situations, I think their ceiling is wide receiver too. Javante Williams has a ceiling of an RB1. And that's why I would consider this deal from that standpoint. So again, it just depends. Let's move on to the next question though. Michael, half point PPR, Amari Cooper or Robert Woods? Yeah, so that's a tough one, but I think I would go with Amari Cooper for this one because we talked about earlier in the show, Amari Cooper is a true number one receiver in my book or at least a receiver too. I think Woods has his kind of inconsistent moments. We get to still remind us to see how Stafford and him will kind of get along. Will it be the same kind of pairing he had with golf? I think that kind of remains, you know, kind of remains to be defined and un, you know, un, untold in a sense. While I think that's pretty clearly that Cooper is Dak Prescott's primary favorite receiver to throw to and will continue to be. Yeah, I lean towards Amari Cooper as well. I just think he has more of that wide receiver one ceiling than a Robert Woods necessarily does. Because the thing about Woods is that last year he had the most touchdowns really of his career. He's not a touchdown guy. Um, and even though I like the Stafford addition, Amari Cooper has finished top 10 receiver multiple times with other receivers, with Dak Prescott, with the Cowboys. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about both of them. I would lean towards Amari Cooper, but I do think they're going to be very, very close to each other this this season as well. I just I would lean a little bit more towards Amari Cooper in that Dallas offense because the one here's where my one tiebreaker would be. The Rams defense is actually good. The Rams are not going to be in a situation where they're going to have to come back from behind or be in as many shootouts as the Dallas Cowboys. So ultimately I think there's more volume for a Dallas offense for Amari Cooper than there will be for a Robert Woods. And that wind up being kind of being the tiebreaker between the two. Um next question, Jason in Dynasty, what tight end do you hold on to out of Adam Troutman and Gerald Everett? I kind of couldn't believe that this was a thing. Go ahead. Who would you hold on to? Well, I, I think why it's a thing is because people have seen success in, from the tight end position in Seattle. Having said that, I think it's Troutman. Uh, I think maybe people are questioning whether or not Drew Brees being gone is going to all of a sudden just, you know, hurt the pass game and tremendously. I think it actually can improve the passing game in a lot of ways. And I think that when you look at that offense, New Orleans particularly, um, you have basically one receiver, Michael Thomas, you have Alvin Kamara, and then you have what? So I think there's definitely a void there for Trotman to kind of step up. While you have in Seattle, we saw Lockett, we see DK Metcalf, and even Lockett had a hard time being consistent last year. I can't bank on having Everett be consistent. Tight ends might have big weeks here or there, 
but I would not think it long term I would be handing on to the effort over Troutman. I think you're thinking about this even too much. Gerald Everett might not even be the starting tight end in Seattle. Period. You can start from that standpoint. We know Adam Troutman's at least gonna have is gonna be the starting tight end in the Saints. So I don't even think I have to go past further than that to know who it is. But yeah, to your point, I love Adam Troutman. There is a reason why he's a big sleeper tight end this year for everybody involved in the industry. He has a great opportunity in front of him to possibly the third pass catcher on the Saints. But again, yeah, as far as his question is concerned, we don't ever, there's a chance he's not even starting tight end for the Saints, for the Seahawks. So come on. Yeah, Adam Troutman's who you're holding on to. And he's young. And, and real quick, if Winston wins the job, which I think he will in New Orleans, Winston features his tight end. People cannot forget about that. That's how we know who Kevin Braid is. You saw AJ Howard have success. So I don't think necessarily because, you know, being moved from Drew Brees is going to kill their passing game. I think actually, like I said, improves it. And tight ends will definitely benefit from it. Yeah, I love when I get into arguments with these people about that too, actually, because somebody was saying to me that, well, OJ Howard never has breakout season. I'm like, look at the tight end production overall. Cameron Brait had a hell of a touchdown output. Yeah. James Winston throws to throws to the tight end. If you have two tight ends to split from, then yeah, they might take away volume from each other. That's how it kind of works. I was getting this stupid argument. I I believe it was on Reddit or whatever it was. But if you meld it in the one, which Adam Troutman would be melding in the one, guess who gets all that work? Exactly. Tight ends are squared away with James Winston. This shouldn't even be a question, but I put it out there because I just thought it was really interesting. Hank, CMC, Alvin Kamara, or Dalvin Cook, the first pick in a half-point PPR man league. Who is your number one, Chris? So I was looking at this question going into today's show, and I'm, I've struggled with this. Um, I go Kamara. I'm, I'm a huge Kamara fan. I have to be, I'll be up front with that. I just Every year, I would try to target the guy. I think it's disgustingly stupid, this narrative, that suddenly because Drew Brees isn't there, once again, he's going to suddenly fall off the face of the earth or not be as productive. This was the number one scoring running back last year. Let's not forget about that. So I think that while Dalvin Cook has a hell of a lot of talent, has the featured role in a lot of senses, I think Alvin Kamara is my guy because, number one, I expect the volume to be pass catching up to change at all, and I expect that maybe he'll have actually more production rushing the ball. While Dalvin, we hit, still kind of waiting to see him be utilized in the passing game as much as we'd like in a lot of ways, and I think, therefore, I go Kamara in a half-point PPR. And I love him, so. I love both these guys. That was, that's really, that was oh, a tough, all, tough all question. Three. I love all three of these guys. <laughs> I mean, you really can't go wrong. It is kind of a preference pick in some instances. I will stick with CMC. Overall volume, overall production. We've seen him do it two years in a row. Uh, frankly, if, you know, CMC... Oh. God, what? I apologize. I didn't I didn't realize that was a, a three... Three player thing. CMC, was, Alvin Kamara, or Dalvin Cook. Yes, that that was oh. that was the question for the. First oh, then I go Christian McCaffrey. Then I apologize. Okay, we'll just throw all that out that he just said about Alvin Kamara, and he yes. goes Christian number McCaffrey. two. But yeah, yeah. Christian yeah. McCaffrey, clear number one. Well, it's you know without the injury, Christian McCaffrey would probably still be the three-time reigning you know number one running back. So it, you can't, you have to go Christian McCaffrey still. But I do like the case for Alvin Kamara, and of course Dalvin Cook. All three guys, really, really good. Dalvin Cook on a per-game basis was actually the RB1 last year. We had a couple poll questions. I asked everybody in MD Nation, which wide receiver two would you rather have? Now, these are all guys that are ADP-wise listed as wide receiver twos at the moment. The poll was between Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Robert Woods, and Julio Jones. 
There was a pretty even split amongst these four wide receivers for the most part. Amari Cooper did come out as number one at 31% of the vote. Number two was Robert Woods at 26, followed closely by Julio Jones at 24. And then Mike Evans was the runt of the litter of the wide receiver twos at 19%. So I guess, Chris, I mean, out of these wide receiver twos, who would you rather have? The guy at the bottom, Mike Evans. Um, I think Mike Evans Over to me is the Over Cooper, really? Over Amari Cooper, yes. I trust the red zone production a lot more, and I expect Mike Evans to have a way better year overall yardage-wise than he had last year because I think him and Tom Brady will be on the same page much more this year than they were last year. It took almost half the season for those guys kind of getting the same page other than the red zone. So I think that you're going to see Mike Evans have his big year. I think he's a true number one in Tampa Bay when it boils down to, and I'd rather have him. I was going to hit the alarm button where we don't have enough time to kind of get into it too much. And we are going to talk about Tampa Bay in a team profile series later on. So we will have time to get into this later. I couldn't disagree with that more. Uh, I would definitely have a Mario Cooper in this list. I actually think I might have Julio ahead of Robert Woods a little bit. We'll kind of see how that winds up breaking down. But I definitely have a Mario Cooper here because of the volume. Uh, Mike Evans is an interesting situation. One, there should be regression at a Tampa Bay from a statistical standpoint, given the production that they had as a team last year. Yes, I know you're shaking your head. No, but definitely 100% will have statistical downgrade. Either the offense itself is more efficient. Uh, uh, Antonio Brown was the number one wide receiver once he was on the field. Not Chris Godwin, not Mike Evans. He may have the touchdowns. That may be it after that. We'll get into that more later. That's going to be an interesting one that I'll make sure I have tabbed for us as a debate uh, when we get into the team profiles. That includes Tampa Bay. So I'll have that one tabbed. But I would go Amari Cooper as well as for this question. Last poll, I asked, which QB2 would you guys take your shot on? Again, ADP-wise, these are all quarterback twos. And it was between Matthew Stafford, Trevor Lawrence, Carson Wentz, and Tua Tagalovoa. It was overwhelmingly in the favor of Matthew Stafford. I disagree with the public on this one. I disagree with MD Nation on this one. How overwhelmingly they went with Matthew Stafford on this. I love Matthew Stafford. I love the situation he's in with the Rams. I love the offense. I I don't disagree at all that he has QB1 top 10 potential this season. He doesn't run the, enough for me for him to be the sleeper that I take. First of all, he's his ADP is QB13. So you're probably drafting him, you know, close to it. Guys like Trevor Lawrence, Carson Wentz, Tua Tagovailoa, these are guys that technically right now, if you're in 12-man half-point PPR leagues, you might not even have to draft because of where their ADP is as of this moment. Lawrence has an upside because he runs. Carson Wentz has crazy upside with the Colts going back to Frank Reich. Tua Tagovailoa runs. I actually like all of their floors more than Matthew. Matthew Stafford might be a great NFL quarterback this year. There is a scenario where he's not that great for fantasy purposes. I, the overwhelming amount for Matthew Stafford is wrong. And if I'm going to pick one, I'm going with Trevor Lawrence. Volume, the fact that how much is going to be on his shoulders to move the chains and play make and be the offense, you're going to see him run. Trevor Lawrence is the guy that I'm taking my shot on the QB2, not Matthew Stafford. Yeah, so on a personal level, I'm going to take two in that situation. But in defense of like, you know, actually making points and what I can stand by and numbers wise, I go with, to your point, the rushing attack guys. I look at I look at what Andrew Luck did in the Colts offense, and I think Carson Wentz is going to be highly effective in that Colts offense. He's got the best offensive line. I think he's going to continue to use his legs and get back to using his legs a lot more. Guys put up MVP numbers when he had Frank Reich as his offensive coordinator. Uh, Matthew Stafford is going to be a tremendous talent. I love his I love his fit in the Rams. I love what he brings to the table. 
But we see Matt Ryan have great weapons around him. And Matt Ryan usually was a guy that you kind of had to rely on just throwing the ball consistently for yardage wise. And if he didn't, he wasn't productive. I think Matthew Stafford's going to have a very similar kind of, you know, floor in a sense with that. And then Trevor Lawrence, um, I'm not as big on Lawrence when it comes to overall statistics wise. I think he'll be a good quarterback. I think that he'll be effective and he'll have his nice little run here. But I think that when it comes down to what I expect him to do week in, week out, I think he'll kind of be all over the place. I want to see what that offense is going to be in general in a sense, um, if he's going to be utilized with his legs as much as I hope he is. But I, I kind of still question that's going to be the case. Um, so for me, I would definitely, personal level, I go Tua because I, just, I love what he has in place. I love Tua's talent. I think he's one of the best guys in you know, building and throwing the ball. I loved him coming in the draft. But I understand when it comes down to numbers-wise, I would look at Carson Wentz because I think Carson Wentz has shown you he's done it before. And you look at this Colts offense, what he has in place, he should be highly productive. Yeah, I like all that as well. So we're going to close down the show here. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back in two weeks. Going on a hiatus, going on vacation. We'll enjoy myself. We'll be back. And then when we come back, not that first week back, so I I believe that's uh, July 17th off the top of my head. Uh, We'll have one show that week, continuing on. And then after that, we'll be up to two weeks until the regular season. And then from there, we'll be at five episodes a week. So a lot of MD's Fantasy Football Show coming. We'll continue on the Team Profile Series in two weeks on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Signing off today. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. Everyone have a great weekend. Have a great 4th of July. And have a great summer. We'll see you real soon. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.